Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. John Booker is an award-winning writer, director, producer. He's given talks on story, film, spirituality, and pop culture on five continents and currently teaches at the Los Angeles Film Studies Center. His blog, WelcomeToTheSideShow.org, is read by thousands in more than 70 countries each year. Jeremy Casper is an award-winning writer, director, producer, and currently teaches film at the Los Angeles Film Studies Center, where he has workshopped well over a thousand short films and his students and alumni. Jeremy also works with the Global Short Film Network and the Visual Story Network and has led screenwriting and directing seminars around the world. And Carol, I know that From the Heart is also a fiscal sponsor of many short films, right? Yes, we are. And Claire, we're just so honored to have both you and John and Jeremy. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. We're honored. Well, let's get started. And so, John, could you start with the first of the six essential steps for creating successful shorts? And then, Jeremy, you can add on to that. Sounds great. Absolutely. Uh, the the thing is, before you can begin any sort of, of film project, you have to start with a good story. Uh, a good story well told is, is what it's all about, whether it's in a short film or a feature film. And especially with short films, it seems like story is often lacking there. So many people are anxious to get to the production phase, uh, but we have to write or find a good story that can be told on your budget with your capacities, because without this, there's really no need to move any further. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the the most important things that uh, beginning filmmakers uh, should take into consideration, really any filmmaker, is when you are planning a short film, um, you've got to find that story. You've got to find that thing that resonates with you. You've got to find that story that serves the purpose of, of what you're trying to accomplish. But I think it's also important to remember that you're making a short film. So not trying to cram a feature film into five minutes, which is something that oftentimes our students will try to do, uh, but really discovering, to not only the story, but the, the unique medium of short film. What can a short film do that, uh, that a, a longer form of media cannot do? So I, identifying the differences is key and important as well. Well, how do you know when it's good? This is the problem I have with filmmakers. I say, have, has anyone read this? Oh, my family loved it. My girlfriend, think, girlfriend <laughs> thinks it's fantastic. And that's as far as they go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the real problem uh, when trying to get feedback on a script. Uh, you can't get feedback from someone who is legally obligated to love you. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to uh, expand uh, your horizons. And in order to get honest feedback, you've got to go outside of your family and friends you know, circle. So 
finding a trusted group of people can be difficult, but uh, that that may happen. You know, if you're in a student, if you're a student, you know, approaching someone um, on the the faculty, you know, of your school, uh, preferably someone who teaches writing. If you're not a student, if you're um, just a, a writer who's trying to get established, uh, who's who's beyond school. Uh, finding a writer's group can be very helpful in trying to get honest feedback. And the the only way honest feedback works is if we don't become defensive and we we listen to what uh, others say. Jeremy and I often say if you if you hear something once, you know, is a is feedback on your script. Um, you know, you can maybe take it or leave it. But if you hear something more than once, it's pretty important that you take uh, that advice. And I think it's also um, I, I, we could do a whole section, um, a, a talk just on how to receive notes from people, uh, because I think that there's a very haphazard way to to receive notes from someone. I think just randomly sending your stories out for for feedback is not necessarily the best approach. I think that uh, taking an approach that's educated. Uh, for example, um, I recently completed a script and I sent it out to a few key people, and one of the the things that happened is I noticed all my my feedback was consistent except for one person. And this one person is someone who knows story very well, but they had pages and pages of notes for me. Um, but uh, the more we talked about it, this person finally admitted, you know what, I just don't, I, I'm not, I don't know your genre. I don't know this genre very well. Uh, it's not my expertise. And so, you know, if you are writing a, a, a comedy film or, or, or a musical or something like that, you're not going to send it to someone who's well-versed in horror uh, to read and give feedback. Uh, so being somewhat educated in who you send your your screenplays out to, I think, is really important as well. And like John said, listen to those notes that you just get over and over and over again and be humble enough to take them. Yeah, humble is important in this business. <laughs> you really have to be. But it, are there certain places where you can get coverage on short film scripts? There are a few places that uh, uh, you, you can get coverage uh, you know, for short film scripts, depending on, you know, what your project is, even uh, websites like The Blacklist now have opened up where you can host a script uh, there and, and get, you know, a certain amount of feedback. Um, I do think that uh, writers have to be cautious in, in paying for feedback, um, which, you know, is, is very common to do to pay for feedback when you're beginning. But I, th- I do think you have to be cautious because there are a lot of people uh, who, who really don't know story and, and can't be very helpful to your career uh, and, and may just assign that feedback to someone who is, is just a, a paid worker just giving their opinion. So I think it's important to do a little research uh, before you give your money to any website or, or any individual at all to make sure uh, that they have some credentials that they've either maybe sold a script before or have won some awards or, or had, you know, things published where other people have recognized the value of, of their work and their knowledge. I think uh, yeah. John and I both have experience with the uh, Blue Cat screenplay competition, and that was one that uh, I had some pretty good experience with, and that came from uh, some research as well. And I think one of the reasons I love that particular screenplay competition uh, is because they put just such a high emphasis on structure, 
Um, and they're, they're really looking for well-structured stories, which uh, a lot of these film festivals, a lot of these script festivals, um, they, they don't have that kind of criteria. And, you know, being a writer myself and being someone who, who is also a writer educator, I'm, I'm all about structure. Well, can I ask either one of you if you subscribe to um, um, Save the Cat? <laughs> I love yeah. his books. Yeah, we um, are, are uh, diehard adherents <laughs> to Save the Cat. We absolutely love that book. Uh, it's the book that really has served as the foundation and the basis for a lot of the lectures that we do here um, in our school uh, and the teaching that we do do abroad as well. And, you know, there's there's a lot of criticism out there right now um, about a lot of these books that, that really get into breaking down structure uh, in stories. And, you know, in my opinion, the, the deconstruction of an art form is something that's been around since the beginning of academia. It's what we do. We try to figure out how things work. Um, but I, I think that um, uh, these tried-and-true methods of storytelling, first of all, they've been around forever. And um, I, I, I really do believe that this model uh, that Blake Snyder goes through uh, in his book, Save the Cat, is, it's, a, it's a very accessible and simple way of looking at story, but it really is it's tapping into the psychology of the human mind, how we as people um, solve problems when we encounter them. That's, that's really what a story is, a, a character overcoming some kind of opposition while trying to solve a problem and then just showing the resolution of that. And so I, I personally think that, um, that Save the Cat is, is a great resource. Well, it's I funny. do too, and I go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, that was John. No, no go ahead, John. <laughs> no problem. It's funny, you know, that uh, there's often in writing so much pushback against structure. You know, that the things like Save the Cat, you know, provide structure for um, musicians. Never push back to say, "Well, today I want to sit down and I want to." Uh, invent a new musical note, or I want to play a chord no one's ever played before. Uh, you know, you, you just don't see that in other art forms. You see an embracing of structure in other art forms because, uh, in essence, you know, every house is built from the same elements. There's a floor, there's a ceiling, there's walls, there's windows, there's doors, but it doesn't mean that every house looks alike. Um, but to, to say, you know, I want to build a house uh, with a ceiling and, and a floor but no walls, um, you know, that house is going to come crashing down. So I think it's pretty important that you embrace some sort of structure. And whether it's, you know, Save the Cat or, you know, just even following basic three-act structure or Joseph Campbell's Hero, Hero's Journey, um, I think you will at least establish uh, the sorts of, of beats in your film that uh, people will resonate with. And, and it doesn't mean every story has to be told that way, but you do need to understand uh, the rules before you ever begin to try and transcend them. Amen. I totally agree. I took Blake's book, and I sat with my clock, and I timed. I took. I went back and took Hitchcock's films, and I timed what he said was what would happen in five minutes, in 20 minutes, in 45 minutes, and to the second it happened. So uh, believe me, if Hitchcock thought it was important, I think it's important. Uh, yeah. And what I found was that 
there that I when I'm watching a film after so many minutes if something doesn't happen I I get <laughs> I'm squirming in my seat like there's something wrong here so it's Absolutely. as if psychologically we know that there's a certain timing to films that things should be happening now or something is wrong do you do you get that when you're reading scripts oh. when Yes. Yes. Ab- absolutely, we do, um, and that's that's one thing that uh, probably one of our our first notes when we get drafts from scripts from students, they'll turn in a a ten minute film or a ten page script, uh, but you know the the inciting incident or the moment that starts the story doesn't happen until page seven. <laughs> I'm like, I've got you've got now three pages for your second act and your third act, and it just doesn't work. And I do think right. that um, that this is one thing about short films too is that this this um, embedded structure it also informs the audience of how long the story is going to be. So if I'm watching a short film, and my inciting incident, or as Blake Snyder would call it, the catalyst moment, uh, when that happens at page two, well then I automatically know psychologically that this is going to be about an eight-minute film. And then if the film doesn't deliver on that timing, if it ends too short or it goes too long, it doesn't feel right. It feels off. Um, so, you know, whether you're watching a, a feature film or a short film, these really are just um, embedded in our psyches, written on our DNA. These are the stories that, uh, the rules of story that we just know intrinsically. It's exactly right. So it's best to start out knowing that and work from it. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, Jeremy, give us your second essential step for creating successful shorts. Yeah, the the second one is really just determining the purpose behind why you're creating the film to begin with. And um, and this may seem very simple, just something that uh, doesn't necessarily need to be considered, but I've seen so many filmmakers waste time and money and resources um, once they get to the end of the film and they realize they didn't really have a game plan for it um, or they didn't really fully consider the audience that they were trying to reach. It's one thing for your characters and your stories to have objectives, but you as a filmmaker, um, especially typically in the world of short films, usually you've got a pretty strong objective for why you're doing it. It's not like feature films where you're just out to sell it. Um, you know, short films are oftentimes PSAs or there's a, a very specific purpose to, to try to raise money for an organization or, uh, or an NGO or, or, you know, something like that. And so really understanding what is it that I'm trying to accomplish um, can really help determine what kind of film you should make. And that's something that we actually uh, address in our, our book, um, our new book, Master of the Cinematic Universe. And that is we, we look at 20 different short forms of media and uh, everything from a YouTube video to a Vine video to um, a music video to a short narrative to a documentary to a PSA. And we talk about what are the things that work well in this particular media form and what things don't work well. I think one of the biggest mistakes, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, is trying to make a film do too much. Um, short films especially, they, they typically work really well when you're trying to make one strong point. Or if you're doing a short narrative, a film that just is conveying one simple, universally applicable uh, theme that we all can relate to. Uh, if you're trying to raise money, great. Make that of your objective. Don't also try to do, you know, to entertain and educate and do all these other things, you know, at the same time, which can be distracting. Um, know what you're trying to do and, and structure your stories accordingly. 
Well said. Now, tell us, uh, this. congratulations on the new book, Master of the Cinematic Universe. Now, where can people find that? John, you want to tell them about it? Absolutely, yeah. The the book is available uh, at mwp.com, which is Michael Weesey's website. It's also available at amazon.com, as well as uh, at your local Barnes & Noble or, or bookstore, anywhere that uh, books are sold. So, um, if you know you are interested in, in taking what you already know about storytelling and applying that into these up-and-coming technologies and medias that uh, seem to be rising every day, uh, this book is about writing in the new world of media, and uh, we, we designed it to be uh, a reference book of sorts for whatever medium that you happen to be working in. Oh, that's brilliant. We really need that. I don't think yeah. there's anything like it, is there? Not that we're aware of. We uh, we we wrote this book because we felt like there was a hole uh, in the marketplace that uh, we didn't have a resource, you know, to go to to apply storytelling, uh, you know, principles to you know vlogs and vines and uh, you know periscope videos, all all these new technologies that are arising. We just didn't have a, a resource to go to to say, how do I take you know the the principles of storytelling. And, and really make something that's effective and that will resonate with an audience. Right. It sounds like a great gift. The book would be a great gift for a lot of writers. We agree. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll do very well with that. So going back to the second step, which is determining mm-hmm. the purpose behind why you're creating the film, um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people do, They, I say, why are you making this film? And they'll tell me, oh, to take it to film festivals. Right. So do you, is that a good reason to make a film, do you think? I think that um, that any reason for making a film is good, but you just have to accept it. You have to accept the reason for why you're doing it. Uh, if you want to make a short film and go to a fest, go to festivals, that's fantastic. I say go for it, but be realistic about that objective. Um, more than likely, you're not going to get a three-picture deal from Warner Brothers by doing that. <laughs> um, there's just a, a few film festivals out there, really just the, the big ones, the major ones that come to mind, that really can be game-changers for filmmakers. Um, I personally am all for just the artistry of filmmaking. Uh, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Uh, so making a film festival your primary objective, that's great. Just be realistic about it. I, I think one of the mistakes that, that filmmakers do make, though, with the festivals is they don't they don't approach the festival circuit in an educated way. Um, uh, for example, um, I, I uh, years ago I did a film that I was very proud of. I really liked it and I wanted to enter it into festivals. But I knew I just knew this is not a Sundance film. This is not a film that's going to get into 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 Telluride. And I could have wasted a lot of money submitting to film festivals that just they just weren't going to take that film. Um, or I could look at the genre of my film. Um, I could seek out the festivals that uh, really focus on that particular genre, and use my my festival money, you know, accordingly. You know, spend it well. 
Um, and, and I also think if festivals are your objective, you need to be factoring all that into your budget from the very beginning. It's another mistake that a lot of filmmakers make. If you're just trying to get a, a calling card, that's why you're doing this. You just want to get your name out there a little bit, get some experience, go for it. But festival entries can be very expensive. And if you haven't, if you don't have some sort of um, distribution plan, for the lack of a better way of putting it, I don't care what you're doing in the world of short films. Have, you've got to have some educated plan about what you're going to do with the film once you're done. Oh, I so agree because the people apply for the Roy Dean Film Grant and they have really good ideas. Um, and But I say, okay, but what, what is the marketing and where does this film belong? Where's the home for the film? Oh, well, it's just oh, yeah. a film festival. That's all I'm doing. I mean, that's all there is for shorts is what they tell yeah. me, but I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and to build on that, Carol, I think one of the, uh, the 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 things that filmmakers forget so often is that really, in my opinion, one of the greatest things that short films can be used for is practicing your craft. Now, this doesn't have nearly as much appeal to people as saying, oh, we're going to put the film in a festival. But it, it, what's interesting about kind of our current filmmaking culture is Filmmakers feel like uh, that they need to put even the very first short they ever do, that they need to put it in a lot of festivals. And, you know, with anything, the first thing you do may not be great. Uh, It's going to take practice (laughs) to perfect your craft. And, you know, before you enter and spend a lot of money, you know, putting a film in a festival, um, it's really important, in my opinion, that you practice and that you keep in mind that the reason you're doing this is to get better and better, to practice and practice and practice, because, um, you know, very few uh, people are going to make their money back on their short, even if you win a festival. Jeremy and I both uh, have have many trophies sitting on our desk of short film festivals that we have, we have walked away with the top prize. And those trophies are beautiful, but they're really just good for holding down papers on our desk. Um, (laughs) Those in a, you know, as they used to say, those in a nickel will get you a cup of coffee. Um, It's not, you know, going to be something that uh, uh, necessarily advances your career, but practicing your craft will advance your career and getting better and better and better. That's what's going to help take you to the next level. Yeah, I, I completely agree with John, and and I think that the one of the frustrations I do have, especially with some of our alumni and the students that we work with, is when they have festivals on the brain. Um, that objective can become so strong that that they begin to neglect very important things about the actual creation of the film. And sadly, one of the first things I notice to go is story, ironically. Oh. It's they, want, they want cameras. They want to make really cool shots. They want to cast beautiful people. They want it to look amazing. I am, I am, I am shocked at how many uh, short films are made that are shot on a, a first draft script. It's like, oh, yeah, we got a script. Now let's go make a movie. That's what we're here to do, make a movie. <laughs> And when your objective is, is, is just let's just get it into festivals and, and you're not really thinking about honing your craft, sadly, story, which in my opinion is the most important thing, often is the thing that, thing that gets neglected. Right. I heard that your first draft, you were only 7% to completion. <laughs> that mm. sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of work I know that, uh, to get with the our, script right. 
Yeah, with our, our final films that we do here at our school where we teach, um, those, John, what would you say, seven, five, five to eight drafts is pretty yeah. typical uh, that we take those scripts yeah. through before they're ever allowed to roll any film on those, those, those projects at all. Great. But see, the two of you just keep mentioning practicing the craft, and that's exactly what musicians do. I mean, if you had learned uh, the Polonaise, uh, Chopin's Polonaise, you wouldn't go out immediately and play it for someone. You would practice it for months and months before you would take it on the road. And um, and and this is an art form, the filmmaking world. So... um, Knowing that, practicing your craft is the key issue to all the things that you're bringing out today. I really appreciate this concept. So, uh, John, let's go to the third essential step. Yeah, third, you want to plan plenty of time for pre-production. Most people, as Jeremy said, get really excited about the shooting of the film itself, and so they don't put enough time into pre-production. There's an old saying in the industry that things can either be done fast, cheap, or with good quality. You can only pick two of those. So things can be done fast and cheap, but it won't be good quality. Things can be done fast and good quality, but it won't be cheap. Or things can be done cheap and with good quality, but it won't be done quickly. And I think that's an important thing for writers and filmmakers to remember is that the more time that you have, which most of us, who are creating don't have a lot of money, but we want it to be good quality. So if if we want things to be cheap and we want things to be done with good quality, they can't be done quickly. They can't be done fast. And leaving plenty of time for pre-production is just one of the most important things you can do in creating any project, but especially a short film. And, you know, the thing is, I have never known a producer on a project who said, man, we, we've got all this time that uh, we, we're done with everything and production's not for another month. Let's just sit back and relax for a month because we're finished <laughs> with everything. That never happens. No matter how much pre-production time you have, it always seems to not be enough. You always need more. So I would, would really recommend that content creators and filmmakers uh, give themselves plenty of time. You will never, ever disappoint yourself by giving yourself more time than you think you'll need in pre-production. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, one of the things, too, that I, I oftentimes see neglected in pre-production is oftentimes pre-production is just spent gathering props, getting locations, um, you know, signing contracts, doing all, all that stuff. But um, I, there are so many directors out there who are making films who really don't truly understand what the job of a director is. And I think that a lot of people think that a director just shows up uh, with this vision and just starts bossing people around on set. Put the camera over here. Actors <laughs> do this and do that. Uh, but a good director has spent the entirety of pre-production um, breaking down the story, uh, figuring out the the subtext of, of characters and performances and finding the important narrative beats that they know they have to capture in close-ups. And, and they, really, they really basically rewrite the script visually. Uh, they plan it. Uh, and and they, they work with actors, and they, they find these moments and, and pull them out, and they, they experiment, and they workshop. 
Um, and I, I just, there's so many directors out there that, that just skip that phase altogether. They think they got a script and a cool vision, and that's enough. Um, so in addition, in that pre-production time, um, directors, you know, really, really consider yourself a writer during that time. You are, you are cinematically writing your story, and just like a writer, uh, a screenwriter, you're not going to get it right on the first draft. You've got to keep working it and keep honing it so that when you show up on that first day of set, you know the story so well that you know where you have to put the camera in order to communicate um, cinematically the story you're trying to tell. Wow, that's brilliant. You're absolutely right. There's so much going on in, uh, a, with the director that you have no idea about, but you will miss it. If it's not in the film, you know it. And you keep Absolutely. saying, it was a good story, it's good actors, what went wrong? Something didn't work. And that's Absolutely. usually it, right. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, Carol, I would also say, too, this is especially for beginning filmmakers, um, I would say it's really important to make sure that everything you need for your story in terms of, of um, uh, the, the visuals and everything, make sure it is in the script. There are so many times that uh, our, our directors will, will present a script to us, and, and I'll push back, and I'll say this scene isn't communicating everything it needs to communicate. And their response will be, oh, but trust me, I've got a vision for it, and it will work. And what I've discovered is with beginning filmmakers, if it's not written out in the script, if it's not there, it so often gets missed. So little things like, you know, um, a clue that a, a detective has to discover, making sure that's really called out strongly in the script. So, so the director knows, I've got to get a close-up of that. Uh, don't let anything, if it doesn't work on the page, it won't work on the screen. Exactly. I, I have a filmmaker that I've worked with for years, and he, he, he sent me his scripts as he was adjusting it, and it was a thriller. And, uh, and it started out with script one, script five, ten, and it was 52 uh, rewrites, but he won all sorts of awards. And he made the film himself. He took his time. He bought his own camera, made the film, won all these awards, but... Uh, he would send it to me over and over, and I'd say, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a sleuth, and I don't have enough clues, and why didn't you? And he would pay attention to me and rewrite it until it was magnificent, and sometimes that's what it takes. Absolutely. I think that wherever your your script is, wherever it starts, your film is never going to be better than the script. So if your script is pretty good, then the best you can ever hope for is a pretty good film. So you, you just, you want the film to sing, I mean, the script to sing. You want it to be excellent, uh, because you can't really go up from there. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. But John, um, would you tell us about your regular weekly column on storytelling in film and television that you write for Screen L.A.? Yes, I, I write a weekly column for lascreenwriter.com. Their website is la dash screenwriter.com and every week I, I look at specific things that are kind of um, happening in the films that are released that week whether it be uh, you know four things that you can do to increase conflict in your script or looking at uh, six different uses of water in screenplays uh, I, I really try and examine um, kind of what, what the current you know trends are and what we're seeing but also I try and point out in the films that are in theaters each week what the, the most um, 
uh, creative elements of, of writing that we're seeing, as well as pointing out uh, beats and elements in the films that, that, that are working and things that we can learn as writers from looking at what's on film and television every week. I, I feel like it's, it's um, the job of people that want to be professional writers in this industry uh, to keep up with what's going on in uh, the trends in screenwriting for film and television. And I try and act as a bridge and a guide uh, through that weekly go- column into uh, the things I see that are really uh, helpful for writers in, in working well. That sounds like a lot of fun. So it's www.la-screenwriter.com, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, Now tell us how people can find and join you on Twitter. Absolutely. Jeremy and I are both very active uh, on Twitter and social media. You can find me on Twitter at John, J-O-H-N-K-B-U-C-H-E-R. So that's at John K. Booker, B-U-C-H-E-R, on Twitter. Yeah, and my handle is at Jer Casper, J-E-R-C-A-S-P-E-R. And Jeremy, you... Sorry. That you work with Global Short Film Network and the Visual Story Network. So tell us about those organizations, please. Yeah, so it's uh, um, I. John also works for um, uh, the Global Short Film Network as well, and uh, one of the things uh, that uh, I really love about uh, working with the Global Short Film Network is uh, Global Short Film Network. It is it's a it's a faith based organization, but they do a lot of humanitarian type of work. And um, what the, the purpose of that organization really is this, is they, they want to make short films that make a difference in the world, uh, that uh, bring up important issues for people to talk about and people to discuss. Um, but the thing that they acknowledge is the fact that I, as an American, I really can't go into Egypt and tell an Egyptian story. I'm not qualified to do that. Um, so instead of saying, hey, we as Westerners are going to go in and make all these great videos, uh, short films, uh, to go all over the world to, to tell people uh, you know, about important social justice issues and topics, uh, instead what this organization, organization has decided to do is to spend its resources going into these countries and training local people how to make films. Um, so what John and I will do when we travel with the Global Short Film Network is we will go to a country, and oftentimes we'll spend anywhere from a week to two weeks there, and we do a very intense um, story training um, uh, seminar with them. In fact, in one week with these students overseas, I oftentimes will teach them everything that I teach my students here in an entire semester. Uh, so it's wow. it's nine to five, five days a week, you know, where I'm lecturing and talking about stories and taking them through <clears> workshops, <throat> and um, and really trying to empower these people who may not have you know opportunities otherwise to really learn how to tell great stories. Um, so that's the Global Short Film Network, and and the Visual Story Network um, actually is is quite similar too. It's just a lot of story education, uh, training people how to tell great stories that make a difference in the world. Well, who funds the uh, Global Short Film Network? The Global Short Film Network is through uh, an organization called CREW, 
and uh, they they've been active for a very long time. Uh, primarily started as like a um, working in faith-based campuses across the United States, um, and just from from there, that's that's where most of the funding comes from uh, for that. Um, and John, you might be able to speak a little bit more to that, but I believe that's where their primary funding comes from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a donor-based organization. Yeah. How lovely. I've never heard of that. That's just wonderful. This <laughs> is wonderful. Well, okay. Um, also, tell us about the screenwriting and directing seminars. Do you give those in uh, Los Angeles, too? We do, actually. And uh, anyone who's interested uh, can follow our work at theinsideoutstory.com. And Jeremy and I, uh, you know, uh, post our work there. We also um, uh, uh, host a podcast about script writing and storytelling, and you can access our podcast at uh, theinsideoutstory.com. Uh, and if you're interested in, you know, having us come and, uh, you know, speak to your, your group or, or do individual consulting with you about your story or script, uh, you can co- contact us through uh, our website there at theinsideoutstory.com. Jeremy and I uh, are, are doing quite a bit of speaking, actually, over the next couple of uh, months about uh, script writing and storytelling. We're uh, next month going to be at NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, while we're there, we're also speaking to BEA, the Broadcast Education Association. Uh, the following month, we're going to be up in San Francisco at the San Francisco Book Festival later in the summer at the University Film and Video Association. So we, uh, we're we going to be out and about quite a bit, uh, and people can, can find us through our website where we're going to be. Uh, we'd love for people to come over and say hello and talk to us about story. That's our passion. Story. This is wonderful. Okay, just to recap, recap here, it's www.insideoutstory.com. Is that correct? It's actually www.theinsideoutstory.com. Theinsideoutstory.com. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. All right. So you are going to be busy. Okay. All right. Well, let's go back. Let's go back now to the fourth step and to create a successful short. The fourth step uh, is determining what your budget will be spent on. Whether you've raised money through crowdfunding or, or had you know friends and family help you with, with some finances, or maybe you've saved up your own money, or maybe you've won a contest, but once you've gotten a budget together, determining what your budget will be spent on is the next step that you should look at. And you know there's a few questions you can ask yourself. What values do you hold highest? Um, again, Jeremy and I really recommend don't shoot anything until you've got a great story. But once you have a great story, are you going to spend the money that you've raised on cinematography? Perhaps you want to really get talented actors uh, that are going to cost a little bit of money. Perhaps your story takes place in a, uh, a location that you're going to have to put a little money into securing. Or maybe your, your story is a, um, uh, a sci-fi film that you need to put some money into special effects. Um, determining where will the money go is an important uh, step because you can't spend money everywhere. You're, you're going to have to prioritize and choose 
what are the things we're going to spend money on? What are the things we're going to try and get for free? What are the things that we're, we're just going to be okay with maybe not putting the sort of money into that we would like? And it, it really depends. It goes back to your purpose and your goal behind the film that you're trying to make. What is the purpose and goal of your film? Um, you know, let's say you're trying to enter the film into a sci-fi festival. If that's your purpose in making the film, you probably are going to be competing with other films that do have amazing special effects. So maybe your money's going to go into special effects. If you're trying to, to really demonstrate your own resume as a director, then you may want to hire some talented actors that can really pull off nuanced performances that, that highlight your directing abilities. It just depends on what you're trying to do in order to prioritize the resources that you have. And wow, I that think makes too it very that, clear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think and I, John was, I think, basically saying the same thing, is um, that, that you want story to, to guide so many of those decisions. I, I've seen so many of our students um, waste just so much precious time and money on finding this one prop that they're just so fixated on. We've got to get this one prop. And uh, when you look at their breakdowns, you realize that prop actually isn't that important to the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not where they should be spending their time and resources. Um, so, you know, when it comes down to it, make these decisions based on what's important to the story. Uh, if if your story is about a man who rides a bicycle across the country, then getting the bicycle right is going to be very important. <laughs> um, so just, just using story to really guide some of those decisions. Right. Okay, let's go to the fifth step. Yeah, the, the fifth step is, is planning a 10% contingency in every area, time, money, etc. Um, I, I think I can speak for every filmmaker on the planet when I say this, is nothing ever goes according to plan <laughs> when you're making a film. And uh, if you don't have some sort of contingency, some sort of plan B, um, you're going to have problems. Um, you know, I tell my producers often, even if you've got the greatest location in the world, have at least an idea of a second location that you could use in case that location falls through. Um, and no matter um, the best laid plans, uh, no matter how well you, you, you plan your shoots and plan your film, um, there will always be expenses that you, you didn't account for uh, or surprises that come up and, and that sort of thing. So being responsible with your money and your finances, um, I think, is, is very important. So having some sort of plan B um, in, in finances, in locations, even sometimes in actors, um, having a backup plan is always a good idea. Wow, that's a good. That's very important because you're right. You never know, and sometimes weather can destroy everything for you. Absolutely, and if you're on a major shoot, you've got to pay those people for the day that uh, that you know you got rained out. If you you know do a half day or whatever, so you got to plan for that stuff. <laughs> right. Well, is there any idea of a budget per minute that could work for a short film? Well, you typically, know, oh, go ahead, John. You could probably answer no, no. this better than Jeremy. Go ahead. Um, I, I was just going to say, I, I, it, there's so many factors that play into it. Um, but uh, you know, if you're doing a sci-fi, of course, your film's going to be dramatically more expensive than if you're doing a small little drama that takes place in someone's apartment. But uh, usually, where I start when I'm budgeting things is I just sort of look at uh, for a short film anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand uh, dollars a finished production minute. Like that would be ideal. 
um, usually it ends up being more in the $1,000 range. Um, so that's, that's a good place to start. It may come in a lot less than that. If you're doing a, a small little drama, it may come in more. But that's kind of where I start. So, $1,000 a minute. Yeah, go ahead, John. I think John can probably add a lot to this conversation. <laughs> well, to, to build on it, one thing uh, that I do, because I, I work with a lot of producers, and what we usually do is we actually start with uh, the, the budget that they've been able to raise. And let's say they've been able to raise $5,000. And what we do is we work backwards. So we say, okay, if you have $5,000 uh, and, and your script is, is 10 pages, then we know we can basically spend $500 a minute or $500 a page. And so we, we usually, um, you know, we'll, we'll take the amount that they've been able to uh, raise and kind of work backwards. If they've only been able to raise $2,500, uh, then we're looking at, you know, $250 a page for a 10-page script. Now, obviously, the more money we can spend per minute, uh, the, the higher quality the film will usually be. So... I would probably work with a writer to say, is there any way we can get this 10-page this script down to five pages? Because then we're going to double our production value from, uh, from $250 uh, a page to $500 a page. So sometimes um, you, know, you, you can motivate uh, uh, shortening a script by what your budget is. And I think Jeremy and I would agree We've, we've never in our lives seen a short film that couldn't be just a little bit shorter. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that is brilliant. Um, so number six, uh, let's get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, John. No, no. The, the, uh, the, the sixth thing that you really should look at it, it doing – is recognizing that there really are, are three films that you're going to make when you take on a project. Uh, and this sounds a little anti-intuitive, but there's going to be the film that you write, there's going to be the film or, or story that you shoot, and then there's going to be the film or story that you edit. And, and what you have to do is, is make the best that you can out of each one of these. So as you're writing um, you know, be be certainly aware of the budget you're going to be working with and the constraints, but uh, try not to be too impacted by that because you want to write the best story that you can. Once the story is written and you get on set, there's always going to be changes and things that uh, that you need to adjust for. So, you know, you're, you're going to shoot the best film that you can, you know, based on the script that you have. And then finally, when you get into the editing room, Many times you will find that what worked on the page didn't work on set, and what worked on set is not going to work in the edit, and you're going to have to uh, make, make adjustments. And being okay with, okay, this is going to change slightly the story I was telling, but this actually makes for a better story. Let story be king. Let story drive every decision that's made in the edit. Uh, and at the end, remember your goal should be telling a great story, even if it is not exactly the story you set out to tell, being uh, okay with a little bit of flexibility in that process is extremely important. 
I've seen so many of our students, um, when we go through the editing process, they they go out and they, they write their scripts and we go through five or six drafts and then they go shoot their film and things, you know, some things go great, some things don't go great. And they edit the film and they bring it in and they show it to us and, and they're so dejected. They're like, oh, the film, it just didn't work. It didn't do what we thought it was going to do. And I've, I've and John, I, I know that we've, we've seen this many times where when we release the students and we say, hey, you know what? we're still making the film in some senses we are still writing it even in the editing room we can change things we can move some scenes around if we have to if we have to add some voiceover we can uh if we have to go grab another couple shots to make it work we can do that and it's it's always fun for me to see students get excited when they suddenly realize oh i don't have to be so married to the original plan if the original plan isn't working out great and suddenly they become free and they can go out and start to shape the film into the best film that it can possibly be oh that's great that's great well Tell us, uh, Jeremy, how do you market a short film? That's that is probably the the biggest question that short film <laughs> writers and, and makers are making right now. Marketing short films, it's it's very tough. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, selling short films, there there are some ways out there to do it, but that's not it's not a lucrative business whatsoever. Um, so I, I think that really the best way to get your short film out there um, right now, th- this is where the Internet really does do amazing things. And it is through, I think, a lot of social media that you can get your work out there. Um, you know, I, I had a talk. This is more in the realm of features, but I, I had a talk with um, some distributors once, and, and they were even mentioning how ineffective festivals are for marketing feature films. They're like, you know, it's just, it's, it's just not great marketing. Um, the best way to get films out there is they, they want to look at, as far as the filmmakers are concerned, they want to look at Twitter followers. How many Twitter followers do you have? How many followers do you have on Instagram? How many followers do you have here and there? And if you've built up some you know form of a social network at all, um, not only is it a, a good way to get your film out there, but it's also just a good way for people to... Um, to, to take notice that you that you have people noticing you, um, so I, I, in my opinion, the internet is still uh, it's still an, a, 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 an untapped resource. I know there's so much out there right now, uh, but I still think that finding that model that really works for for distributing short films and getting them out there, we haven't quite figured it out yet. I think we're very close, uh, but uh, but I, I do think we'll eventually get there. I do, too. I think that there is a market for short films. It just hasn't been invented yet. But it, and why they're not taking four or five shorts and putting it together as a one-hour uh, sale yeah. is beyond me because they're so good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that I think one thing to keep in mind too, if we're talking just about short narratives, that's a tricky market. But in terms of short-form media – um, that's all the rage. I mean, that's everywhere. You know, we, we've got BuzzFeed, we've got, you know, every single news outlet, you know, has got their, their stories going on. Videos, short form media, um, is probably experiencing the greatest revival that it's ever experienced since the beginning of cinema. So there's definitely no shortage of, of short form media out there. And there's, and companies are desperate for content creators. Um, it's a really, that is very lucrative. Uh, so if we're talking about short-form media as a whole, um, there's there's great resources and great places to get things out there and great opportunities for filmmakers. If we're talking specifically about short-form narratives, you, you know, we're, we're talking about a, a 
uh, a limited way of getting films out there. So I just I don't want to neglect the fact that again, short form media is everywhere um, that we're we're seeing right now. Right. Well, do you know of many grants for short films? Off the top of my head, I don't. Does it, do any come to your mind, John? You know, uh, off the top of my head, I, I don't. I think there used to be, you know, some grants that, that were accessible, uh, you know, for that people could apply for, and I'm sure there's still some out there. I think what's changed that quite a bit has been kind of this crowdfunding revolution where people can start, you know, a, a Kickstarter site and, and raise money from friends, family, strangers, you know, who, who might be interested in their project. Um, I, I think, you know, th- this does go back to the discussion of, uh, you know, how to, to finance these things. Um, you, you know, it, it is going back to this idea of, of are we practicing, uh, you know, our, our craft, which if we're just practicing our craft, which is very important and we need to do, then it might be more difficult to take uh, people's money, you know, to, to do that, just to practice. So that's why I think it's, it's best to practice with the resources we have, and then we can approach, you know, other, other uh, uh, sources, you know, for funding. Um, I, I do know there's still some screenplay competitions that do come with financial rewards uh, that, that can be very helpful to your career. Uh, the, the Nichols Fellowship, you know, that the Academy puts uh, on every year is tremendously helpful for uh, writers who are trying to establish a career and, and perhaps have the money then to, to go on and write a feature. So for writers, I, I would push you to look uh, towards the Nichols Fellowship. Nichols Fellowship, to, that's good. Yeah. Just to just to build on one thing John said that I, I just don't want to get lost in this conversation at all and that just to reiterate the importance of practicing. And the reason why I want to stress that so much is we are living in a day and age in cinema where you can practice and it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to make a film. Um, so take advantage of that. We've got editing software on our computers. We can buy cameras that are that shoot festival-worthy images that don't cost that much. Just 20 years ago, to shoot a 10-minute film, you had to shoot on 16-millimeter film at least, and, and your post-production costs were, were very high. So filmmakers, take advantage of this moment that we're living in where you really can make beautiful films and you don't have to spend that much. Go out and practice. Practice, practice. You're so right. Well, let me just say that the Roy Dean Film Grant does take shorts, and we have three grants a year. So the first grant is for spring, and that's mostly goods and services in the New York area, along with 3500 cash. And then this summer grant is mostly uh, goods and services in the L.A. area, and then the fall grant is also in the L.A. area. And they, um, let's see, summer grant is June 30th and fall is September 30th. So keep those in mind for your short films. It's fantastic. Mm. It's tremendous. Good. All right. Well, thank you both so much. I am totally impressed with all this information, and I'm really looking forward to your new book. And tell us one more time the title and where we can find it. Yes, it's Master of the Cinematic Universe, Writing in the New World of Media, The Secret Code to Writing in the New World of Media. And uh, you can find it at uh, Michael Weesey Productions, MWP.com, Amazon.com, or your local Barnes & Noble.
Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, thank you both so much for joining us. And, Claire, we appreciate your support. And we'll see you next week on The Art of Film Funding. Thank you. Be well, everyone. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was such an honor. (laughs) Oh, same here. Nice to meet you. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.